Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today, it's just us. We needed to dig the hell into this episode. <laughs> this episode that we're going to be discussing today lives in infamy in my memory as like the nexus of several dramatic climaxes to various storylines. And I also remember in the course of my watching this show the first time, this episode felt like the revelation to me of, oh, this is how far this show can go and how intense it can get and how deep it can go. So <laughs> there was a lot of buildup in revisiting it. It's also, it's episode 217, which is the number of the scary room and the shining. <laughs> and this episode scares me too. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a really good point. I never would have made that connection. Um, but I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, for people who only know the movie of The Shining, it's 237 in the movie. But in the novel, it's room 217. Gotcha. I loved the novel, but I only read it once. I I don't know it super well. But I will say that the episode scared me, too. I'm, I'm with you. So maybe there's something to that connection. But yeah, I I had not remembered it like you did. I mean, I remember this storyline, especially the one with uh, Crosby and Jasmine. I remember some fallout. But I remember being surprised this week watching this. I was like, oh, gosh, like I I, I found myself not remembering how things exactly were going to pan out. And so in many ways, I was surprised and I felt like, I, I don't know, I loved it, though. I was like, this is so good. And I remember you saying that it was so good. So I was nervous a little bit, like maybe I wouldn't enjoy it as much. But no, it was probably one of my favorites. And strangely enough, I may have had that effect on myself a little bit. Really? It didn't quite match my memory but that's not to say I was disappointed in it because I still really liked it. And it was still intense. I guess maybe I wasn't remembering that it's not enjoyable <laughs> in, in really almost any sense. It's I think I was so taken with it the first time because there's just a lot of crying and yelling. It's like every <laughs> almost every scene, either someone is shouting or crying. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't think we'd ever had so much in one episode before. It is a feast of acting, though. And I feel like a lot of the most memorable moments on this show are like that. Like, I remember the episode we had Jana on for season one. She was like, ugh, like, why'd you have me on this big bummer episode? And she probably would have felt that way if we'd had, you know, whatever guest we would have had. So maybe it's good that it's just us. But it's funny. I I loved the episode she was on, even though it was so upsetting. And this one the same i loved it but yeah it wasn't happy (laughs) yeah Yeah. well and like you said a feast of acting it also had i believe every single series regular in it you know often episodes will have oh maybe camille's not there maybe zeke's not there or drew doesn't talk or (laughs) sydney or jabbar aren't around but even if it was small like jabbar was barely in this episode but he was in it and adorable. <laughs> and yeah, all the grandkids were in it, both grandparents, all the in-laws, everyone was there. And to that end, there were only three guest actors in this entire episode. And those guest actors were John Corbett, Minka Kelly, and Michael B. Jordan. So right there, you just kind of know, okay, this is going to be great. It's going <laughs> to yeah. be all good people. It's the just our regulars star. and then the like all-star guest stars. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, let's 
delay no longer. We are discussing <laughs> Parenthood Season 2, Episode 17, Do Not Sleep With Your Autistic Nephew's Therapist. Perhaps my favorite title of all of them. It's sage advice. <laughs> this episode was written and directed by Jason Kadams. It originally aired on February 22nd, 2011. And here's the NBC synopsis. Crosby pays the price for a mistake that will change his relationships with those closest to him. Adam gets annoyed with Alex's frequent visits. Meanwhile, Adam and Christina are then forced to deal with a huge problem that will affect Max's progress. Elsewhere, Drew is hit with some disappointing news from his father, while Sydney makes a decision that her parents, Julia and Joel, are supportive of. <laughs> I had so much saliva in my mouth. I had to, re- I had to remember to swallow. That's good advice. So I think, a la the Thanksgiving episode, our discussion might be best if we just kind of just go straight through. Yeah. We'll go where the conversation takes I'm, us. I'm happy to do that. I wanted to say, though, with the synopsis, they did a pretty good job of not giving anything away. I'm like, if you watched the previous episode, you know probably what problem Crosby is having and what problem Adam <laughs> yeah. and Christina are having. It's, uh, it's, it's right there, yeah. It's there in the title as well. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So let's start with this little undercurrent of Adam having an attitude towards Alex, which I don't quite get, but... Here's a little snippet. He's here again. Okay. Honey, I mean, he's been here every day this yeah, week and good. Sunday. Yeah. You know, it's my pancake making day. It's family time. You need to relax. I'm sorry. I'm okay. relaxed. It's my fault. Okay. I said it was okay. She wanted oh, him to okay. come. Okay, so he's just going to be here now all the time. I mean, look at him. Isn't he doing so great with Max? He's teaching him basketball tricks. I don't know how to do that. And they're enjoying each other. Hattie's really happy. He's in my chair. That's not your chair, and you know that. He's been playing with him all morning. I mean, this is amazing. What if he joins a basketball team? He that hasn't said one You're word right. about You're bugs right. all morning. I feel like I've been let out of a really bad prison. <laughs> I really wanted you to clip that, even though it might seem like it barely matters, but the two lines really were, it's my pancake making day. <laughs> and I feel like I've been let out of a really bad prison. That has got to be an ad lib, right? There's no way that was in the script. It doesn't really make sense. Max isn't talking about bugs, so I've been let out of prison. What? <laughs> it does I, It does make sense, though. I, I get what you mean, and I, I bet it was an ad lib. But it reminded me of the group therapy episode where the woman, another mom said being a parent of a child with autism felt like being trapped on an island with weird rules that no one else has to follow. Mm. Like, oh, yeah. Or like being in a really bad prison. Was it bad prison? Weird prison? I already <laughs> I think forgot. she said, I think, yeah, a really bad prison. <laughs> like, as, as opposed to, to all those yeah. great camp cupcake or something. Oh. I noted, I, Something interesting. So when we make these podcasts, I will have a list of things that I want to play clips from. And then Melissa will send me a list of here's the things I want clips from. And honestly, most of the time we have like 90% the same things. This one we had more different than we usually have. I like that. So there'll be a blend. And this was not one I had on my list to make a clip of. But once you said it, I did note... Wow, Christina's tune about Alex changed real fast once his relationship with Hattie benefited 
her. Yeah, that's a good point. Really good. And I'm not saying that's all of it. You know, maybe she just let her guard down and got to know him. But when she's making her case to Adam in that clip, it's look how great he is with Max. Yeah. It, yeah, it doesn't have as much to do with Hattie. She mentions Hattie, but it's it's more yeah. about Max. Oh, and Hattie's happy. P.S. <laughs> <P>. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what's interesting to me is I think the reason I wanted you to clip that was it felt very reminiscent of the dynamic that they had when Hattie was with Steve. Like Christina is now suddenly pretty much fine with Hattie having a boyfriend and him being over all the time. And now Adam's problem with him feels less charged like the adult you know he's 19 living on his own alcoholism stuff it felt more like the stuff that bugged him about steve like he's here all the time you know and and my boundaries are being invaded even though he's a braver man they don't have those um (laughs) but i i thought this is interesting now it seems like hattie and alex are just kind of a regular high school couple yeah and i don't understand adam's beef with him I I mean, I guess it's maybe not a beef because he's not expressing it to Alex or even to Hattie. So I I guess props for that. Like, at least you're pretending not to be upset about it. And I get that there would be times you would want it to be just your family. I totally respect that. And not having a heads up that he was going to be there would be frustrating too. And like, I, I do hate, like Hattie comes up and says, It's not a problem that I invited Alex over, is it? I hate when people ask questions like that. It's like, well, you're not actually asking me my opinion. You're telling me what opinion you would like me to have and then begging me to have it. Well, I don't like that. But beyond that, I was clueless. I was like, what don't you like about Alex? Yeah, you come home. He's like, hey, Mr. Braverman. He's, yeah, teaching your son basketball tricks to quote Christina. I'm pretty sure. And to say hello to you. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's just like, you just lost Gabby. Perhaps be grateful for the unpaid behavioral aid you kind of have right now. Who's just hanging out with him and teaching him some pretty valuable skills just organically. Yeah. So I don't get it. I don't get it either. Who doesn't want Michael B. Jordan around? That was the entire premise of a Super Bowl commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Well, elsewhere in the opening, we had Seth giving that guitar to Amber. It was pretty painful, the exchange and how she clearly was uncomfortable receiving it. But I wrote down, like, I think it just has to be that way for a while. Yeah. Because, like, Amber's clearly been hurt and she's clearly wary of opening herself up. And it seems like she has good reason to be. Yeah. And at least at that point, I thought she's... She's been very civil to Seth. You yeah. know, it's not like she's being overtly rude. I think you got to let her come to you. And and like to Seth's credit, I feel like he is. I feel like he's reaching out, but without pressing. I, I agree with that. You know, I have not ever mentioned this and it's pretty personal. So I, I hope I hope my mom doesn't mind. But um, she was in a relationship with somebody after my dad who I did not like uh, or get along with. And It was kind of reminding me this episode of that a little bit where mom and I had this deal where I just needed to be civil to him, but I didn't have to have a relationship to him or with him. Uh, And so I don't know. It kind of reminded me, even though it's a I didn't see it at first because I really like John Corbett and I really didn't like my mom's partner. (laughs) And so I didn't want to connect them at all. But I think 
it's a really difficult thing when people kind of push it a little. Like, you know, my mom and I had this deal. And so every day when I saw him, I said, hello, how are you? And then I went away from him. I went into my my space, my room. And sometimes it would get a little pushed, like, let's all go out to dinner or please. He's he's just taken some photographs. He was a photographer. Um, please come look at them. And I it, it maybe makes me sound really mean, but I that wasn't our deal. And I wasn't comfortable around him and I didn't want to be around him. And that's the most I ever felt like lashing out is if I felt like my wishes, which I felt were very reasonable, were not being honored. And so um, anyway, I I just felt that with Amber. Like she's been pretty good (laughs) for these episodes. We've heard her yell a lot, but not at Seth. We've heard her yell at Drew and her mom, people she trusts. (laughs) And she's been trying, I think, to tell them, I am not ready for this. Stop pushing me. And they're not really stopping. I mean, it may seem like it's very kind to say, come with us to Alcatraz. But I bet she felt really betrayed when Drew said that on the spot in front of Seth. Like, we're going somewhere and we think you should come. And I think that's maybe what did it for her. Like, you've got to stop. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and she has... Like taking Drew to Seth's concert, it's not like she hasn't made any signs of openness, even though she is still very defensive about it. But I think that's just where they are. And as long as she's not being rude, mm-hmm. which she isn't, then... She's not rude when he gives her the guitar. I mean, I, she's clearly taken aback and she doesn't And want... very on the spot. Yes, very on the spot. I think it might have been better... In retrospect, and I think Seth probably would agree if he had like given it to Sarah to give to her or something, you know, just say, although I say that I don't actually like using Sarah as a a middle person or anything. So so maybe not. But I guess I was just thinking, is there a way to leave it for her so that she's not getting it right in front of you? You know, like, is there a way to do that? But maybe not. And he couldn't have been nicer. It's hard not to feel bad for him, but I like that she, and I think that was very effective casting with someone as likable as, as John Corbett, because I think the whole point is everybody else kind of falls <laughs> under the spell and, and she's like, am I crazy? I'm not falling for this. So. Although whatever that hat is he's wearing in that scene is, I know Mark gave Crosby shit about the fedora. Like, <laughs> at least it wasn't this, whatever that was, mushroom. I was about to say that like from, from. <laughs> Thing. I don't know. Yeah, in my notes I wrote, um, he sees Crosby's fedora and he raises him. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that is not a gamble I'd want to take. <laughs> That's okay. a royal flush. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Elsewhere, we have some news with Sydney. Is this chicken? Mm-hmm. It's chicken meat. Mm. Yes, chicken is meat. Mm-hmm. Well, then I can't eat it. Why? I'm a vegetarian. Um, um, but you're not a vegetarian because you love chicken. Love it. I don't love it anymore. Huh. Honey, um, meat is, uh, it has a lot of protein in it, and humans need protein, and you're human. Sweet, where'd you get the idea to be a vegetarian? Ella, she's a vegetarian. Her whole family is vegetarians. I'm not gonna eat chicken. It's unhealthy. And me. Okay. Well, Bug, I would like you to eat your chicken, please. Thank you. Uh-uh. No way. Once again, Savannah Page Ray, 
nails it. She's fantastic. She's so funny in the entire episode. It never goes too far, but her line delivery, I consistently find surprising and, and just hilarious, genuinely hilarious. It's great. And I did not love, I, I remembered this storyline, but I didn't remember Joel and Julia's attitude about it. Mm-hmm. And in this scene, at least, it really seemed like, well, they were trying to talk her out of being a vegetarian. And I did not like that, even though I am very not a vegetarian. <laughs> but I, and I don't like being shamed for eating meat, even though there's some very good reasons not to, both yeah. health and environmental and ethical. But I don't like when people do that to me. And I'm like, don't do it to this child. And also, and I mean, I get, I do want to give the caveat. I get wanting her to eat something. Yeah. That is a battle that parents have with their kids. Yeah. You got to eat something. But if she was going to eat everything except the chicken, fine. Mm-hmm. Let her be a vegetarian. Also, she's six. She'll probably cave in a few days anyway, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that's not ultimately where Joel and Julia ended up. So I was a little worried over nothing. But in that scene, it's like, stop it. I bumped on that, too. I thought, well, I had multiple thoughts. Because on, on the one hand, when she said that her friend, Ella, was it? That her friend was a vegetarian and then said her whole family is. I thought to myself, well, that checks out. Because it would be very difficult, I think, to not be vegetarians as parents and then have a child who was going to stick with this. You'd have to prepare entirely different meals for your kid. That would take a lot of adjusting, or you would have to make a lifestyle change yourself, you know, if, if that was something they were interested in. But I don't, that, that just seems like so much work. And I wondered if the reason they said eat your chicken is you can't wait until I've already made a meal, <laughs> you know, spent time in the kitchen and then tell me you're not going to eat it. You got to give me a heads up before the meal is on the table. So Fair. I was I was hoping that their reaction was more like eat this meal, then we'll talk, you know, like I'm not making something else. But yeah, if it was just this idea of, well, all humans eat meat because that's kind of the argument they were giving, I kind of bumped on that because I'm like, well, I'm married to a vegetarian who's also an incredible cook. And so the meals I eat at home, I, I never have meat. I'm kind of a vegetarian by default, and it's very healthy, and I never miss meat because he's such a good cook. And so sometimes when I go out to eat, I don't even get meat anymore. Anyway, I'm just saying that because I'm like, well, Do you ever have satan? <laughs> no, I had to look that one up. I was like, that's not... But we don't do a lot of meat substitutes in our house. Like, it's just using vegetables more, you know, and just... Or like... If it is a substitute, it's something interesting like he'll make, oh, like meatloaf, but it's with like mushrooms or something. It's not like with mm. tofu, you know, or, or yeah. yeah, like cauliflower as a substitute for chicken or something, which sounds like it would not be good, but it is. Uh, so, I, yeah, anyway, so I, yeah, I don't think I'd really be that into that Satan or Satan as he calls it. <laughs> Had to look Satan crapola. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I haven't heard crapola in a while. So that was fun. Well, I did look it up too, that it was hydrated wheat gluten and that you, <laughs> you make it by, it seems like just mixing wheat flour and water. Oh man. <laughs> like, yeah, it doesn't sound great. No. But anyway. No, I did agree with you and ultimately with Zeke though, that, Sydney needed to eat something. You're not allowed to opt out of the vegetarian meal. Like, like Camille has now prepared two meals for you. You have yeah. to eat one of them. I agreed with me too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that ultimately I thought 
Zeke was right. I'll just have dessert. Well, young lady, your grandmother has now prepared two dinners for you. Try a little more of the satan. Satan? Satan. Huh? No, thank you. Granddaughter, you are going to have to eat one or the other, or you're not going to get up from the table. That reminded me so much of a story I think I told earlier in this podcast about... I remember it. I loved it. My dad and my sister. I think it was with peas, but it was you're not getting up, and how actually he kind of came to regret it because he realized, oh, I actually have to outlast her. Yeah. And it went on forever. <laughs> also, I should say there were two deleted scenes oh. from this episode on the DVD, and one was a little follow-up to Zeke and Sydney. I can wait a long time. You can't force me to eat a dead animal. Zeke, you're being ridiculous. I'm being ridiculous? Let her go to sleep. She's not going to sleep until she eats her dinner. Telling my mommy on you. I can handle that. (laughs) (laughs) I get why if they were long or something that they might take that out, but I enjoyed it. (laughs) I like that too. It was funny to hear Camille's reaction there because later when she's talking to Julia, it doesn't seem like she did think Zeke was being ridiculous. But I kind of liked that because I think both things are true. Yeah. (laughs) I think that he was picking this hill to die on was kind of ridiculous. I also think he was ultimately right though. I was very interested in that dynamic when Julia went over to the house and Zeke and Camille were kind of telling her how to parent. And I had conflicting feelings about that in my own head. Like, again, not a parent. That's the, you know, subtitle of this podcast. But (laughs) I, (laughs) I simultaneously felt like I would resent it so much if someone told me how to parent, even if it was my own parent, I, I would be like, I would bristle. I would really hate that. But I kind of feel like Julia doesn't have a leg to stand on because the whole reason this happened is that her parents babysat Sydney for free and prepared two meals for her. So I don't think Julia could have responded by being like, just stay out of my business. (laughs) Let me make my own parenting decisions. And I'm like, that's that's what gets interesting about not really having super strict boundaries because if lines get blurred one way, they're going to get blurred another way. If you're, you know, and I'm not saying that because you ask someone for a favor, they get to have total control over your life. I don't, I don't mean that, but I do mean they're there, they're around, they're making observations. They probably get to voice at least some of those observations, at least when they're being directly questioned, like they were being, you know, being, they were being. Yeah, I agree. It also makes me wonder, this is something where not having kids think is very significant. But issues like this around what are you going to eat? What aren't you going to eat? While I do think it was kind of ridiculous that Zeke had this battle, I-, I thought the principle, on the principle, he was right. But I also wonder, couldn't you just let her go to bed hungry? Mm. Okay, you didn't eat lasagna. You didn't eat the satan. I wouldn't agree with, oh, you'll just have dessert. No, you're not eating dessert if you're not going to eat dinner. If you want to just not eat, fine. What do I care? Be hungry. She's not going to starve. And this is maybe where (laughs) maybe I'm too cruel, but I just think you want the kid to learn a lesson. She'll be extremely hungry. 
for breakfast the next morning. And maybe she'll think, hmm, I should eat what I'm given when I have food. I never would have thought of that. I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other because I don't. I, I mean, don't maybe eat. she's up all night then crying or something. I don't know. It's yeah. probably I'm sure that millennia <laughs> of parents haven't <laughs> just missed this brilliant idea. <laughs> but it is something that I as a non-parent think about. OK, let them not eat. Yeah, I honestly have no idea what I would do. That's that's the sort of thing I find extremely intimidating about being a parent. It's the sort of thing that, you know, people don't really think about that when when they talk to me about, oh, they have kids. I I don't. I feel like our lives are probably mostly similar in certain ways. You know, hopefully we have lives that we enjoy and things that we like to do. But that is something I never have to think about, like. What would I do if someone was in this house who just wasn't eating the meals that, um, let's be honest, Mark was preparing them? Um, <laughs> and maybe maybe our whole lives would look different, actually. Maybe I would cook more um, because maybe we would have to cook different kinds of things. Like we kind of eat kind of foodie stuff, you know, kind of gourmet, like I think just incredibly delicious stuff. But it's, it's not like, you know, chicken nuggets. <laughs> it's not like dinosaur shapes, you know. I, I'm just like, oh. When's the last time you had anything dinosaur shaped? It's been a while. <laughs> Probably elementary school. But yeah, I just feel like that's that's interesting. Yeah, maybe the whole fabric of of mealtime at my house would be different. It, it probably would be. And, and you know, people always say to me, I, I hope this isn't too much of a tangent, but people always say like, oh, you'll regret not having kids, which I find insulting. Um <laughs> you know, and I and I sometimes think, well, you only know having kids and I only know not. But there are certain benefits, I will say. And one of them is having these extraordinary meals. And I'm sure other people will be like, well, I would much rather have a baby than an extraordinary meal. And I'm like, you know, to each their own. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm trying to think, where am I ultimately going with this? I guess I guess what I mean is I like not having to pick that battle each night. I like that mealtime is a very peaceful thing. So I will say that. But... <laughs> I like that out, out the side of your mouth. I will say that. I will say that. But uh, maybe the way that connects is Julia's still wearing her, you know, lawyer garb. She always has like a glass of wine. It's like Julia and Joel want dinner to be this lovely thing. But then this kind of comes up and reminds them, oh, here's this child who isn't just eating this really delicious looking meal that they'd prepared. And that's that's interesting to me. That's not even the point. I know the point was vegetarianism versus not. But I'm like, you can't just make a kid an entirely different meal, can you? And But then probably a lot of parents do that. And then I guess ultimately the bigger conversation is to what extent should the kids make the decisions in the house? I guess the vegetarianism was really just a way to get into that. That I do think they're really right, that they got to be careful that Sydney doesn't end up making all the decisions. Yeah. It's funny, Sydney's initial, is this chicken, reminded me of this historic television moment. Is this chicken what I have or is this fish? I know it's tuna, but it, it says chicken by the sea. <laughs> so stupid. Yes. No. Yeah. You know what? 
I love Jessica Simpson. I will defend her all day long. I do too. Well, you're going to defend her on tuna? She <laughs> well, didn't know what tuna was? I should pick my battles probably. Um, I I often wondered if she knew exactly what she was doing though. It was like a shtick, like playing a part, taking it to the I bank. I do too. Yeah. But anyway, that is a historic TV moment. You are right about that. I loved yeah. that show. Also, when Zeke finds out about Sydney's vegetarianism, he tells her that in Vietnam once he ate dog. Yeah. And that to me does raise the question, why do we consider it okay to eat some animals but not others? And I'm not saying I have any personal desire to eat dog or cat or horses or anything, but I do think it's a little ridiculous to pretend that some animals have more intrinsic value or something and thus shouldn't be eaten. I mean, like pigs are some of the smartest animals in the world, smarter than dogs, and we eat them left and right. Yeah. I I actually think that's a big part of why Mark is a vegetarian, is the first dog he had as an adult that, that we had together, Knuckles, I think he would just, he loved him so much and he, it made him think about other animals. It became hard to detach this one animal from others. Well, you guys raised chickens for a while too, right? Yeah. And that was interesting to me because I still ate chicken, but I didn't eat those chickens, which is weird because I know a lot of people raise chickens on a farm. They do eat the chickens that they have, but we had like, you know, four chickens in a little backyard, (laughs) you know, situation. And they were pets, and I was horrified at the idea of eating them. But then, you know, it, it did make me enjoy other chicken less because I was around these living, kind of funny animals, you know, all the time. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I, I think once you start to pull that thread, it does become a little bit more difficult. You know, it, it really is. I think you're right. I mean, I, I have a hard time going to, like, county fairs and looking at all those adorable animals and thinking, wow, I, I do eat pigs, you know, not that often, but if I go to a restaurant for brunch or something, I do love bacon. Sometimes I'm like, maybe I should just try harder to be a 100% vegetarian because it, there is some guilt now for me. I, it's hard to like separate. Yeah, I can't really justify it other than a lot of people do it and I like it, <laughs> you know. Just to finish out that storyline, I thought it was really nice that Camille was on Zeke's side. And the teensiest little part of me was a bit perturbed that she kind of had to be the one to offer an olive branch Mm. in their ongoing difficulties, but really teensy. And I just thought that when things get so contentious between two people, like they have been between Zeke and Camille, it must reach a point where both of them would feel like do you even like me anymore Yeah. to the other person? And that's what I really felt when Camille spoke up for him, that it was like it unlocked something in him. Like, oh, you don't think I'm an idiot Mm. and a doofus and always wrong. And that there is something about me that you still admire or think is valuable. And then I was like, good for him for then expressing that to her. Yeah. And I, I really thought their moment of connection was so beautiful. And just after all this time, so nice to see. And it felt more earned than like a song on the ukulele or something. Much more. Yeah. And I I really loved it, too. I was struck by how rare it is to see like a love scene, a genuine love scene like that between people of a certain age. And 
I remember the first time I watched it feeling maybe a little uncomfortable, like 10 years ago. And then this time, I like to think I've just maybe grown or something, but I remembered feeling that way the first time I saw it. And so this time I was really questioning what made me used to feel that way, you know? And I'm like, it's probably because we're so used to on TV and in movies seeing sex is this like hot, lust-driven thing between people who look a certain way and and who fit into these margins. And it's a little gross if you think about it, actually. I don't know. I, I We were just talking off mic before we started recording that we saw Nomadland, both of us, on our own yesterday. And something I thought was so interesting about that movie is there's a scene where Frances McDormand is naked. She's like bathing, you know, or like, I mean, I guess she's just floating she's on her back in a in a lake and you see her naked and it's divorced from shame and it's divorced from sexuality now of course in this scene it's not divorced from sexuality (laughs) but it is divorced from shame I guess like it's it's just this beautiful scene I don't know if I made any sense but I just think you did yeah it shouldn't just be young hot people and they are very attractive actually yeah well and it's connected to real people and a relationship that I think just makes it so much deeper. Like, would it be more erotic to see fit 20 somethings all steamy and hot and heavy perhaps, but often so often there's not really a whole lot going on beyond the eroticism in sex scenes. Yeah. But here we have people who've been together for 46 years who have built a life, share a home share a family and we have seen all they have gone through in their relationship, particularly recently. Yeah. To put all of that context onto that, that kind of scene made it so much more significant. It made me wonder, and I hadn't wondered this up to now, when was the last time that they were intimate with each other? either actual sex or just, I mean, he even says, I'm going to kiss you now. And I thought, when is the last time he kissed her? Yeah. And I think it would have to be a long time. And that, then it to me was so beautiful that I thought, yes, this is a way in which they do need to reconnect. Well, and when we, we've talked on this podcast before about representation and that means all kinds of things. And that, that also means normalizing things that are normal in life, but aren't always normal on the screen, you know? And, and yeah, like everyone should get to connect with the person they're in a relationship with. And if that's part of storytelling and it's not just to be sexy and, and a water cooler, you know, kind of thing, then yeah, you, you need to show that as being part of a relationship. And, and yeah, I think, I think it's really beautiful and it probably only stands out to people. It probably only stood out to me 10 years ago when I first saw it because it's so rare that we see it. And that's a shame. Yeah. This episode had commentary from Jason Kadams and there wasn't a whole lot that I gleaned from the commentary. It was still interesting to hear him talk and because he wrote and directed this episode, but he did mention that he wanted to show a scene, a love scene between older characters. Love that. So let's jump back to the beginning of the episode and the the whole Crosby, Jasmine, Gabby thing. There was another deleted scene that I think had to have come before any of the scenes we saw, which was between Crosby and Gabby. And I wouldn't have included this 
initially among the clips until you wanted to comment on their second scene, Mm. which in the final version of the episode is their only scene together. And it made me realize that the exclusion of this deleted scene does alter how you view the second scene. So here is the deleted scene, which I think would have come very, very early in the episode. This is Gabby coming to see Crosby on his houseboat. We need to talk. Okay, maybe we shouldn't be here, though, talking. It won't be long. Okay, because Jasmine sometimes just stops by. I'm really sorry I walked out this morning. That was really immature, and I'm sure you're furious at me. No, you have I'm a not. Right to. I just kind of panicked, and I, I have no experience I get it. cheating. Okay. You sure? Yes. Listen, Max is my priority, okay? We made a mistake. Okay, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Um, I mean, not that it wasn't spectacular no, last night. No, Crosby, we're then... not talking about that. Okay. So we're going to go on like normal. And right. I'm going to work with Max, uh-huh. and we should avoid seeing each other. But if we do... We'll deal with it. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, so that's uh-huh. the plan. Okay. Crosby, can you handle this? Yeah. Okay. I just, I want you to know that if the situation were any different. Oh, no, no. It's, it's not fine. that I don't. I Crosby, didn't please. I just need to know that you can handle this. Yeah. Okay. That's fascinating. I'm so glad you included that because I, after watching what actually aired, I was like, do I hate Crosby now? One of my favorite characters. I, I was furious that he left and never apologized to her for, for leaving or for what happened, you know, and, and for sleeping with her or, or leading her on or whatever. I mean, I know it was both of them, but I thought leaving like that especially deserved an apology. So knowing that he, in at least one version of this story did, makes me feel a lot better. I'm really glad to yeah. have that context. Because in the final episode, here's the only interaction you get between them. You quit? Oh, Crosby. How could you quit? I was at the house and Jasmine came over and it's just too okay, much. Okay, well, you got to go back and fix it. Fix it? Yes, all hell is breaking loose over there. You've got to go back. Listen, if Max suffers because of something we did, I'm never going to be able to forgive myself for that. They'll find someone else, Crosby. Okay, they're not going to find anyone else. You have to go back and say it was a mistake, I all right? I can't. Why? Because I like you. <sighs> Well, we can't. Bye, Crosby. It's so fascinating to me because I wouldn't say that the scene they deleted was some great, great scene, but it did fill in so many little blanks. Like why Gabby was so affected when Jasmine came over to Adam and Christina's house. I mean, it makes sense even without it. Yeah. But when she has just said, we're going to be normal if we ever run into each other. Mm -hmm. And you realize, oh, she did not factor in what if she runs into Jasmine? Yeah. And what is that going to do? And then in the scene with Crosby, the deleted one, he seems so focused on, I want you to know that I actually do care about you in some way. This wasn't, that it wasn't just a fling that he wasn't using her. And she seems like, forget that. Who cares? Mm -hmm. I don't want to mess up my responsibilities to Max. And then she realizes I'm lying to myself a little bit because I was feeling something too. And it's going to get in the way. I can't be so cool and detached about this. 
And then without that scene, when Crosby comes in and says, you quit? I'm like, <laughs> it, yeah. It feels so judgy and it, or, or like just callous. But if you knew that they talked before, then it makes it seem like, oh, it's a continuation of their like strategizing or something. Yeah, it makes me feel just so much better because callous is the word for it. I, I was, I mean, and I, I've really grown so fond of Crosby and I get that people make mistakes, but when he goes from leaving her without a word to then driving over to her house and being like, you quit, I'm like, oh my God, Crosby, fuck you. I was so mad. I was just like, you don't treat people this way. She doesn't owe you anything. Now I feel a lot better. Like, okay, they had a plan. She went against the plan. Not saying she's not allowed to do that, but it was more bewilderment than yeah. accusatory, which is how it felt to me, not having that deleted scene. I also found it funny in the deleted scene, you know, when we saw Crosby and Gabby flirting previously, one of the things he said was, well, I shouldn't be making any decisions. Mm-hmm. And when Gabby comes over, <laughs> she is making every decision about how they're <laughs> going to handle this. And Crosby's just sort of flailing. Yeah, <laughs> And then to the point where she's like, I need to know that you can handle this. Are you man enough, adult enough to like stick to this plan? And he seems all too happy to just be like, yeah, whatever you say, I don't know how to do this. (laughs) And I thought, well, Crosby, you're sort of, uh, you're not making a great case for yourself if you're still trying to argue that you can be trusted to make responsible decisions. I think that that case is kind of at the window. I agree. And it seems like maybe Adam's advice in the past has been right that, well, maybe this is what Jasmine contributes to the relationship. You bring other things. You're spontaneous. You have a sense of humor. <laughs> Adam's kind of saying you shouldn't be making decisions. too. Right. Yeah. When Jasmine came over to Christina's, I thought it was so incredibly nice of her to apologize to Christina in person for missing Max's birthday. And I really seriously kind of take back what I said about her in the last episode, because I was a little PO'd about (laughs) her kind of using Jabbar as a little bit of a pawn. But, you know, I think that's the power of an apology. Yeah. If in the heat of a really rough patch, she acted a little selfishly, I forgive it. Yeah. If she apologizes, because it happens. We've all been there and done things we shouldn't have done. No one got hurt. No. You know, it. I, in in some ways, I feel like actually the apology she was making was excessive. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think I would have forgiven her with even less of yeah. an apology. But, of course, what she did do, I thought, okay, I get it. You were upset and you didn't want to be in the room with him. And, yeah, I understand And I wondered, I mean, I think she's a really good person and I think that apology was 100% sincere, but I wondered if she also wanted to reach out to someone she trusted in Crosby's family and kind of talk about what was going on and maybe be a little reassured because she hasn't talked to Crosby yet at this point. And it seems like she's softened, you know, like the time that I think she needed helped And, you know, if Crosby just had used that time better instead of sleeping with Gabby, (laughs) they I think they could have had some real conversations and and probably moved on. But, you know, that's that's the power of an apology, but it's also the power of of time. I think she she needed that to become okay. And I mean, 
she ends up initiating conversations with Crosby in this episode. She ends up wanting to be the one to apologize to him. And I think it's all because she's she's had that that space. And so I don't know. The whole thing's heartbreaking. But yeah, I wondered. And of course, just convenience wise, I totally bought that she went over there. But really, the reason she went over there is because Jason Kadams needed to have Minka Kelly look crushed yeah. and just be distracted and watching that whole interaction. And I could not have felt worse for Gabby in that moment. Oh, my God. It was awful. Yeah. I also... I took a clip of this little blow up on the basketball court. So you moved out, huh? Back in the houseboat? Where'd you hear that? Jasmine talked to Christina. What's going on? Jasmine told Christina. Yeah. I thought we talked about all this the other day. Yeah. I just hate to see you throw away the very best thing that's ever happened to you in your life because you feel like she's a little bit controlling right now. Maybe this you can take a little time out from your judgment. Okay, I am not while judging you, Crosby. I'm not yes, judging you. Are. I'm looking out for you. Yes, I, you are no, judging me. You're judging always you. judging me, man. You're always looking at me like I'm the idiot. That that's always screwing up. I'm sorry I'm not perfect like you, okay? It must be so frustrating. Could you keep your voice down for a second? I am sorry. Oh, yeah. Heaven forbid I scream on the basketball court. Is that a mistake, too? It's a part of growing up. Seriously, you're going to leave? No, I'm fake leaving. <laughs> no, I'm fake leaving. I left. I almost clipped that. And that was, yeah, oh, it was great. I just put down it. It reeked to me of Crosby lashing out because he knows he's guilty. Yeah. yeah. And even though he hasn't been caught yet, he knows. So he's extra defensive. Although listening to it again, I wonder what would have happened if, you know, because Adam references, we talked about this the other day. To say, I hate to see you throw away the best thing that ever happened to you because you feel like she's being a little bit controlling right now. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it would have made any difference if Adam had been that blunt Mm. when they had that conversation. And that's not to say that I think it's not like Adam was pussyfooting around the topic. He was very honest. But here it just seemed so honest. And when it put that plainly, because I, I really have a lot of sympathy for Crosby within the central argument of, like, the way Jasmine was treating him. I don't think it was as bad as he was perceiving it to be. But I don't think it was nothing. Yeah. But the force of Adam's opinion helped to just put it in perspective a little bit. Yeah. It's like, this is just the way you're feeling right now. It doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to be like this. Talk about it. Work it out. That's why you were going to counseling in theory yeah you know it's interesting because listening to that very same speech i did think adam was being a little sanctimonious maybe i think he's also right well but, that's his mo yeah <laughs> but i thought you right know, the old sanctimony pony <laughs> sanctimony pony I love it. Yes. But you know, it's funny. The very same thing that you pointed out for liking, I had kind of bumped on because it was things like, I'd hate to see you throw away the most important thing or like the best thing that's ever happened to you because you feel she's being a little controlling right now. I was like, those are a lot of modifiers that are kind of disqualifying Crosby's feelings. Now, of course, Crosby has slept with Gabby, so all of that's thrown out the window. But if Crosby hadn't slept with Gabby and Adam said that, I think Crosby would have been entirely within his right to say, stop dismissing what I really feel are actual problems. You keep minimizing them because you like 
Jasmine and think I'm incredibly lucky to have her. And I think, you know, me, Melissa, I agree with that. I think Jasmine's wonderful and Crosby was very wonderful to be with her. But I also agree with you, Caleb, when you said that, like, she wasn't always so nice to him. But he handled it in the worst possible way. You know, I mean, I I really think she was just probably trying to take the lead, take control to feel like our lives are going in the direction they should. That's just something you work out. Yeah. In in counseling or or on your own with reflection and communication and and talking. But he just, I, I kept calling it in our last episode, the easy way out. And I really think it is. It's weird to call it that because it's the hardest thing that's ever happened to any of them. But in, in, in the moment it was easy. Like, let me just feel better about myself by sleeping with someone who thinks I'm great. And, and now he's experiencing the fallout and it's awful. Also yeah. quick side note, that was the resolution of Adam's little mini storyline with Alex, right? That basketball game, <laughs> Alex just being yeah. incredible at basketball, which I think is fine. He's young and athletic. I'm, I'm, he yeah. is Michael Jordan. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, there you go. But I just thought that was funny. Like Adam was in a sort of pseudo storyline that they were like, you know what? Let's just drop it. Let's just throw him into the, the, the Gabby mix. So, you know, you kind of brought me back around <laughs> in terms of Jasmine and Crosby, not all the way around, but I, I, I think it's just illuminating why it's a very believable argument at the center of all this, because I can talk myself into totally being on one person's side and then instantly be talked back into the other side. Yeah. And that to me feels like life. And it's one of the terrible things about what Crosby did, not that he should be making decisions about how he can like rhetorically win this argument. Right. But once he cheats on Jasmine, that stuff does just go out the window. Yeah. It's like, well, so now all these feelings that people were minimizing, you kind of don't get to gripe about them anymore, even though they're still true. Yeah. But you've just completely overshadowed them with this lapse in judgment. You took something that you can work on and work out pretty easily to something that you, you can't. I mean, you can get past infidelity, but it's a hell of a lot harder. And that breaks trust in a way that like being too controlling doesn't break trust. It, it hurts Crosby's feelings and maybe hurts his spirit, but he still trusted her and she still trusted him. They hadn't lost anything you know, crucial. I I think that they, what they had was very much able to be fixed and he just broke it. Yeah. And because of who he cheated with created problems for other people that he loves. Yeah. Um, are you okay? Yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. You're all right. You need to come in and sit down. Um, I, I can't really stay long. I just, this is really hard, but I wanted to tell you guys in person something has come up, something personal, and um, I'm not going to be able to work with Max anymore. I'm really sorry. I know it's really sudden, and I made you guys a list of other um, aides. Wait, and that no, I'm sorry, Gabby. Started. What happened? Something happened. I just, I really can't talk. Uh, I'm... Is this immediate? Unfortunately, yes, it is. And I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. You know, everybody talks about how pretty Minka Kelly is, which is 
fair. <laughs> but uh, does she get enough credit for being really good? Like, I think she's a really good actor. That scene That's is... That's a great point. Yeah, it's excellent. Yeah, I think you're totally right. She doesn't get enough credit, and probably because she's so beautiful. Yeah. That's the first thing you notice, and then you don't give credit where it's due. Yeah, I, I just thought the way her voice shook when she was quitting, and I, I, I felt so bad that she said things like, please forgive me. You know, I don't think this is her fault, mostly. I mean, I mostly do blame Crosby, but I guess it was a decision they both made. You know, it's not like Crosby, like, you know, tricked her or, you know, they they had... When, when Crosby later says that, you know, Gabby and I had a connection and Adam really dismisses that too, again, I'm like, <laughs> Crosby doesn't really get to have the upper hand here because he made a huge mistake. But I thought, Adam keeps dismissing stuff Crosby says. They did have a connection. It really wasn't just sex. I, you know, it, it they really could have made it as a couple if they had met when they were both single. I think they probably would have been a great couple. Yeah. And yeah, and, and so anyway, that please forgive me really kind of broke my heart because I think in that moment, she maybe feels like she put her personal life above her professional life by doing something that could have compromised her job. But then I'm like, man, we're all human. Like, she really liked something. But I gotta say, I really admired that she was taking responsibility for her decisions. Yeah. And and I, because I put down, I sympathize with her. And in a way, I think it was the right thing to do. Because for all of Crosby's blame, which is immense. Yeah. She had a serious lapse in judgment too. And it even occurred to me, it's like, if this series revolved around her, this episode could have been called Do Not Sleep With Your Client's Engaged Uncle. Right. <laughs> and that would be a valid. Yeah. And I also thought, like, I personally, I think she had every right to say what happened mm-hmm. if she wanted to. Yeah. I don't think she had to protect Crosby in right. that situation. But I thought it was professional of her in that dynamic with Adam and Christina not to drag anyone else into it, to say, this is me, this is my decision. But God, how horrible for her and for Adam and Christina. I I thought Monica Potter's face Uh, kind of said it all in that scene. And and in a way, I feel like she stole the scene because you could just see the the hurt and surprise all over her face. That must have been so shocking. I mean, like, I feel like with Max... You know the expression like living paycheck to paycheck? I feel like they kind of do that with Max, but not financially. Like they live like day to day or like tantrum to tantrum. Like, I I don't know. I feel like they just can't relax with him in a way that they can with Hattie. He's a good person. Don't get me wrong. But like, it's hard to know what to expect. It's hard to know when things will be calm and when things will be, you know, the storm, I guess. Yeah. And... You know, I feel like Gabby probably felt like a real lifeline to them who really helped control that dynamic and make things a lot better and smoother. And they probably didn't even realize how much they needed her until she quit. I mean, I think they appreciated her. Don't get me wrong. But I think they just kind of, well, we have her, so we don't have to worry about this. And then, yeah, how how shocking must that be? Although, is it a spoiler to ask why they never hire anyone that Gabby has on that list. Because I feel like the show after this episode sort of presents it like, well, Max had a behavioral aid once she (laughs) left, you know, you can't ever hire anyone ever again. You know, I, I just feel like that looms over the entire rest of the show. And while I know she was very good, she literally hands them a list of people to call. 
isn't that on them a bit that they don't call anyone? I, think so. I thought the same thing, although I hadn't quite articulated it even in my own head. But like I noted in that scene between her and Crosby, when she says they'll find someone else, Crosby, <laughs> like, <laughs> no! which seems which seems dismissive <laughs> in a way. But I was like, she would know. I mean, this is what she does for a living. Yeah. And I kind of liked it in terms of like professional expertise that she realizes. I don't think it's diminishing her talent right. as a, a behavioral aid to say any competent therapist can achieve some progress with Max. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I think never, I'm a good teacher. That, it, Crosby's immediate reaction is they won't find anyone else. <laughs> what? <laughs> and Crosby's right. Like, it's just bonkers. I mean, I just <laughs> I always wondered that in the back of my mind. Like, why did they never hire someone else? You know, to to fulfill that role, especially. Maybe Adrienne Paliki wasn't available. <laughs> I love Tyra. Well, did you think that Christina was crossing a boundary by going over to Gabby's house to try to like win her back? I really was on the fence, so I was curious what you thought. Um, I don't think so. I feel like they had established enough of a personal relationship mm -hmm. that it didn't feel like it to me. Now that you mention it professionally, perhaps it is a little pushy to like not accept her resignation. Mm -hmm. But I think it also helped that she could tell something wasn't right with Gabby. And I think that there was genuine concern for Gabby as well as concern for Max. Yeah. I did take a little clip from that scene, just a miniature one, because I like contrasting Christina's behavior with Gabby and her attitude towards her here with season one, the big O, when uh, they first met. Yeah. And she was so distrustful and didn't want to open up. And here she is now. I love you so much. That's why I'm here. I know that I can be overbearing, and I keep going over in my head how many times I've second-guessed you about Max's curriculum, and I am so sorry, no, and no, I'm no, wrong. No no, no. no, no, it's true. It's <laughs> That's all I took because oh, I thought it was no. funny but sweet. It is, and I do, I will say, I do like that that's what she led with because when Crosby marched over there and was like, you quit? How could you? I'm like, okay, don't do that. I like that, <laughs> <laughs> I like that Christina was like, if this is something I've done to make you feel uncomfortable, can I work on that? You know, and, and I thought, well, okay, this isn't just a guilt trip. <laughs> I think it is a guilt trip, but it's more than that. And maybe it is, maybe I'm just a little, um, <laughs> what's the word, sensitive to guilt trips because <laughs> I feel like I've, I've been on the receiving end of them quite a lot and it's hard for me to say no to them. So I get very <laughs> defensive if I feel like she's just trying to guilt her into Saying yes when she's already said no. You should take someone's, you know, answer. You should take what they say at face value. But at the same time, I'm like, well, like you said, she could tell that Gabby was really upset and maybe wanted to investigate. And and at that point, I'm really glad that Gabby said what happened with her and Crosby. Because while I respect that she was trying not to, at this point, she's like, is every member of the Braverman family going to come over here and question my decision? I can't handle this. That's literally why I quit. I need the, those boundaries. And so I think it's I think it's fair that she said what happened. And it's like, you know what? Off of me. On to him. Good luck yeah. with that. Yeah. And, you know, you've also sparked something I hadn't thought about at all. But in saying, was it crossing the boundary? 
I'm sitting here thinking, well, in real life, I feel like Christina probably would have called her. Yeah. That it's not a go there face to face, which does feel like it's really hard for her to stick by her decision mm-hmm. if she has to look you in the <laughs> yes. in your crying eyes and say <laughs> but and then it makes me think I don't feel like there's a lot of phone conversations on this show not I mean, a lot. here and there when the pipe breaks and they're calling Adam and when Sarah says thanks big brother the pilot made us think we would have a lot more phone calls than yeah we've had. or like when Sarah's shopping for clothes for an interview and she's on the phone with Julia by and large, they don't do that. And I think what they replace it with, probably because it's much more compelling television, is, yeah, Julia will just pop over and say, did you make my daughter eat meat? Mm-hmm. When in real life, she probably would have called her parents and said, did you make my daughter eat meat? And so maybe that's just a convention of this show that we have to accept for <laughs> the dramatic value it provides. I would much rather see these people talk face to face. But then it does lead us to believe, why are these brothers and sisters and sons <laughs> and daughters just hopping into each other's houses left and right? Yeah, what is the Because we don't want to have the whole show be over phones. I got to say, if it were me, if I were Christina, I would have sent Gabby an email. I do much better written. You know, like, like yeah. <laughs> that's a good thing for someone who has a podcast just speaking off the cuff to say, (laughs) but like often it's good for me to gather my thoughts, type them out, send them into the world. That would really not be compelling television. Just watch, watching Christina. Christina. (laughs) Christina compose an email. Yeah. She's sitting there. She's like drinking her coffee. How do I want to phrase this? You know, (laughs) Gabby gets it. Yeah. Gabby just deletes it. She doesn't want to deal with this. (laughs) Move to trash. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) one thing that i thought was really interesting such a sidebar i had this moment of feeling really bad for hattie during max's first post gabby meltdown and alex handled it so well he was just kind of in the middle of all this chaos but i don't know if you noticed hattie had this moment where she just kind of like put her head in her hands and looked really stressed out and i thought what an intimate moment for a teenage relationship, like for, for your partner to witness, you know, it's a real peek behind the curtain and maybe, you know, but then I thought it's kind of lovely that she feels close enough that she wants him over there knowing that that could happen at any moment. So, yeah. Well, he also, at one point you could see that he was going to try to intervene. And I thought, Oh, Alex, no, you do not need to be the, knight in shining armor coming to the rescue in this situation. And then I was really glad that he pretty much immediately backed off. Yeah. And I I feel like in that instance, he realized, oh, it's not like I've got some brilliant method to try here that none of these people who live with it every day have thought before. Right. I'm just going to step back and stand by my girlfriend and (laughs) let Max's parents handle this. Yeah. There are moments when basketball tricks will solve it. There are moments where it will not. I just really enjoyed that expression, basketball tricks. I'm like, I don't think any real basketball player ever says that. Anyway. Welcome the Harlem Globetrotters with their basketball tricks. (laughs) Silly Globetrotter, tricks are for kids. Were they on every episode of Scooby Doo? <laughs> I think I don't think so. No, just all the ones I remember. Anyway, um, 
you know, earlier I let Jasmine off the hook for her behavior in the last episode. But then like in the next scene, I found it a tad hypocritical that she wanted to talk to Crosby Mm. immediately once she was ready to. Yeah. And I thought like, well, he was already ready and you couldn't be bothered and ran off to the desert. Maybe he's not in a talking mood anymore. And then (laughs) after I wrote that down, I was like, oh, these are the trivial little things that crop up in the midst of a fight that keep the actual issues from getting resolved, aren't they? Like, Because in the broadest sense, it doesn't matter who's ready when, who's ready first, who initiates the conversation. If you want to actually fix what's wrong, you got to just do it. Yeah. And Crosby, if you wanted to talk to Jasmine and you couldn't do it when she was flying off the handle at the dishwasher, well, she's not flying off the handle now. She's calm. She apologized to you. Yeah. She seems like she's about to give you what you want and you can't do it because you feel guilty about what you did. I mean, again, he just ruined it with the, yeah. <laughs> with his decisions. He did. I wonder, because if he hadn't done that, he probably would have said, hey, Jabbar, hold off. We're not leaving yet. Go play for a little bit. And he would have had the conversation right been, then. Yeah. Or at least some version of it. Yeah. I'm I'm sure that's true. Well, that's like a real TV thing, isn't it? Like, it's making me think of Gilmore Girls season six finale, season seven opener, where like... Lorelai gives Luke the ultimatum, you got to marry me now. And he's like, I don't like ultimatums. No. And so she goes and sleeps with Christopher. Then very next episode, he pulls up in his truck, ready to marry her. And she's like, well, I slept with Christopher. (laughs) It's done. (laughs) Um, And I thought this is kind of reminding me of that, where Jasmine kept pushing him away, pushing him away until he slept with Gabby. Then suddenly she's like, um, you know, the silence isn't doing either of us any good. And I had argued in our previous podcast that it was. I was like, well, Jasmine needs space and time. And so when she said that, I was like, did you not need space and time? I kind of thought maybe it did do you some good. Maybe it didn't. And she seems transformed. <laughs> right. Well, that's maybe a, that's maybe a <laughs> exaggerated word. But yeah, she seemed bitter and angry before. And mm-hmm. she doesn't now. But I think the lesson there is, folks, if you ever have a huge romantic blow up, Wait one day longer than you think you should wait before <laughs> sleeping with anybody. Ross and Rachel, they were on a break. That's yeah, just yeah, one day. He did it like that night. Yeah. And then the next day, Rachel comes over and is like, oh, I hate when we fight. And I'm like, <laughs> this happens all the time on TV. And maybe it happens in real life. See, if like Mark and I have a fight, I like eat ice cream. I don't go... <laughs> seeking comfort in the arms of someone else. And I don't mean to sound judgmental when I say that, but I do mean sometimes I think it's interesting and compelling in, you know, in movies and TV to do that, right? They have a fight. And so it's very reactionary. And I'm like, well, maybe people do that in real life too. But I think more often in real life, you know, people just take a night off from each other. They're like, we are We are needing a little space. And I think that's healthy. This makes it sound like it's not healthy. I think it almost seems like it's Jasmine's fault that Crosby slept with Gabby because she kept saying she needed time. And I think that's bullshit. Like it is, that is, it's valid to want some time and space. But then I'm like, why would they write it in such a way? You know, I, I just, I guess that's a small thing to criticize, but I really wish instead of Jasmine saying this silence isn't doing anyone any good, I wish she might've said, I feel better because I had some time to process everything that happened. I'm ready to talk. Now, again, why am I, why am I saying what I wish she'd said? She didn't sleep with anyone else. She's fine. 
But I guess it would have felt more believable to me that she really did need that space. But yeah, maybe she didn't. Maybe she was yeah. just pissed and took. And maybe that's what she meant. Like now that I am in a better place, I realize not talking isn't the solution. Yeah. But it does make it seem like, oh, I was wrong not to want to talk to you. Right. For like a day or two. Yeah, I think you're allowed. Crosby <laughs> moved back into his boat, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And I think your your point about just taking a night off is a really good one. But in terms of TV drama, the night off probably belongs on the Christina writing an email show. <laughs> the, the, the boring version. Right, right. Parent snooze or whatever. <laughs> Well, hopping back over to Amber. Okay. It's always a good episode if Amber's going to have a reason to cry. <laughs> I know. And she had a real doozy in this one. Come on, sweetheart. I know how much you well, love Alcatraz. No, yeah. No, you know what? You're right. Maybe I will come because I love it. How's the, uh, how's the guitar working out? Oh, the guitar. Yes. I meant to tell you, um, the only thing is, is that it doesn't sound good. Um, and I don't want it. So if you want it, you should take it back or I'm going to sell it. Amber. Okay. You don't have to be rude. Oh, and the other thing is I actually can't go to Alcatraz because I get sick on boats, which, you know, is something that everybody that knows me knows. Um, but you know, I just forget that it's basically like we're strangers. So, <laughs> sweetheart, I'm just trying. Stop to... calling me that. I don't even know you. You don't. You don't know anything about me. Amber. You can't just waltz in here after all this time and act like Mom, everything what? is fine and just like buy us a burger and like give me a crappy guitar and everything's just gonna be fine again. You know. And I guess it works. I guess it works on everybody but me. I guess I'm the only person that you know has a problem with it. But I'm sorry, but I can't forget the fact that you didn't come to my birthdays when you promised that you would and you didn't take me out all the times that you promised that you would and you were not there for me when I really needed you. And so I have trouble believing that you've changed because I've heard it all before and I'm sorry, but I look at you and I just see the same loser who let me down. Oh my God. All right, first of all, this is not the point, but how is she so good at like throwing in little funny comments while she is yelling and crying? Like... In that speech, she's got little moments like, well, I forget, it's like we're strangers. Or my favorite, which I think you and I have talked about before, when Drew's like, you're being so rude. And she's like, you know what I think is rude? Leaving your family. It's <laughs> yeah. like, very bad. And her face. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, shucks. That's a shame. Yeah, yeah super rude. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's not the point. Um, what were well, your thoughts? While, yeah. while we're making light of this. Yeah, yeah. Before we actually delve into it, I did want to say there was an element to this scene that felt a little bit like a trope that I had seen before of an absent parent comes back and then the kid gives them what for. And like, you just drop in here and expect a relationship. I felt like I've seen this on some like Saturday morning TNBC. <laughs> That's <laughs> very a special cut. episode, haven't I? And I... I went looking for it. Where where have I seen something like this before? I'm so excited. And I didn't find it. I didn't find it quite where I thought I would. I thought it was on the classic sitcom California Dreams. Oh, uh, but that's the best. But I thought it was Jake having it out with his like absent dad. It wasn't. It was Tiffany having it out with her mom. And so while there is a little bit of a cliche to this scene, let's just contrast 
the quality of the performance <laughs> and writing. I was so excited. In Parenthood with this classic clip from California Dreams. How dare you? What? Do you think you can just come back into my life after ignoring me for 10 years and expect me to go live with you like nothing ever happened? Tiffany, I didn't... You expect me to run out on Dad like you did? How dare you? You left me. You never cared. You were never my mother and you never will be. I hate you. You know what? Surf dudes and attitude. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Oh, man. Wow. No, that's true. That really, it shows that sometimes it's not even how groundbreaking a storyline is. It's how well executed it is. Exactly. That I mean, John Corbett and Mae Whitman, you're not going to get much higher quality acting right there. Yeah. She's incredible. And I was torn about Seth's reaction mm. to her outburst because he says I shouldn't be here. And I thought if his instinct is to skip town, if by here he means like in Berkeley. Yeah. If he's just going to skip town when hurt feelings get thrown in his face, then I feel like he's just proving her point. Yeah. He's doing, he's pulling a Crosby. They're wearing the same hat. Oh yeah. (laughs) And then like, and then reinforcing in their minds that he's not capable of being there for them. If he means they're in the house, which is Amber's house, then I respect it. Because maybe he shouldn't be there. And like maybe he shouldn't have even gone inside. And that's maybe radical, but it's like, but I don't know. I was just trying to see it from Amber's point of view. And maybe she needs to know that there's a place in the world where she can go and only be surrounded by people she knows love her and will protect her. Yeah. And like that's that's what home is. And so maybe that was a boundary he should have respected. Even though Zeke invited him in, maybe Seth was right to say, I'm going to stay out here. That's not my home. That's your home. And Amber clearly wants some distance, some boundaries. Yeah. But who knows? I'm I'm not calling him out for going in, but it was something that hadn't occurred to me until this scene. And then just poor Drew. Both earlier when he tells Amber, don't push dad away. Mm -hmm. And then in this scene, when he, he gets mad at Sarah I think he just thinks if we make home appealing enough, then he'll stay. Which I think is entirely believable that a teenage boy would think that, but it is a, an immature understanding of the situation. And I feel so bad that he, because then he's kind of making it his responsibility. Well, if dad leaves, it's because I wasn't good enough or I didn't make it good enough for him to want to stay. And then poor Sarah. She just looks she goes clobbered. From this, yeah. She just like goes from this nice lighthearted family moment where she's like comically bad at chopping chicken to every member of her family walking out on her in this band of about 90 seconds. Yeah. I know. I thought about that too. I was like, is it significant that she's literally clobbering something at the beginning of that scene? And then she's clobbered by the end. Yeah. No, I felt so bad. And, but at the same time, I understood it. I didn't think Drew was right to yell at her at all. I don't think she did one thing wrong. But I think it was very believable and human that he did yell at her because she is the parent he trusts. He doesn't think I have to be 100% nice to her all the time or she'll leave me. 
And so I think he yelled at her because he feels safe. He knows, as they say at the end of the episode, we'll always have mom. And they say it like a joke. And I love the way they deliver that. But like, he does know that. He knows he'll always have her. And so he can, it's not right to lash out at her, but he knows he can, at least to some extent. And she'll forgive him and they'll be okay. My gosh, that was a major thought that you just touched on very succinctly. Oh, thank you. That I had in response to the little monologue that Sarah gives to Seth outside the bar. Just right before I get to that, I liked that Sarah's immediate response to Seth saying, well, Amber kicked my ass, was, you deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> just instantly. <laughs> I, I just loved that because it showed she's willing to give Seth a chance, but if it's between him and Amber, yeah. there's no contest. Yeah, I love that too. But what you said about he doesn't always have to be nice to Sarah. Mm-hmm. That was something that I sort of realized after listening to this scene. I have spent so much of my life blaming you, Seth. I have blamed you for the fact that I'm almost 40 years old and I still tend to bar. And I could even tell you all the reasons and explain to you exactly why it's your fault. When Drew sits up in his room, doesn't say a word to me for weeks, just hides away, I blame you. And I shouldn't. I really shouldn't. It does no one any good. But I can blame you for going to Seattle without saying goodbye to your children yourself. I can blame you for that, and I will. I will blame you for years. And sadly, part of me gets off on it. I love having something to blame you for because then it lets me off the hook. And I don't want to be let off the hook. Not anymore. So you will be there tomorrow morning before they go to school to say goodbye to your children. You will be there. I thought that was so great. First of all, I know we sound like a broken record, but it really feels like there's such a history between them, a real shared past. Even in this scene, they're both around 40, almost 40. I picture them as teenagers who just thought that each other was the coolest person they had ever met and no idea of the life's worth of consequences to to all their decisions yet to come. And it it seems like their entire mutual life together has maybe been spent just trying to make the best out of bad decisions. Wow. Well put. It, It also brought to mind what my uncle Lyle said when he was on about relationships having accounts Mm -hmm. and you make deposits and withdrawals. And, and I thought Seth is deep in debt with his kids in terms and with Sarah in those accounts. And he's got to make a ton of deposits to settle that those accounts. And it would let her off the hook when he screws up because then when she feels like a crappy parent, she can think about Seth and feel better about herself. Well, at least I'm here. At least I'm not off in Seattle But then I wrote down, I wonder if accounts are different in relationships, like romantic relationships, than relationships with children. I think the nature of being a parent might be that kids just get to withdraw endlessly. And there's no deposit required. They don't have to pay it back. And Seth's feelings got hurt that Amber nailed him. And so now he's running away. But like how many times have we seen Amber and Drew get frustrated with Sarah? Yeah. Like when Sarah told Kelsey's mom Mm -hmm. about the drinking and Amber said, I'm very disappointed in you. 
or when Drew told Sarah that it was her fault that Seth left. Yeah. And then Drew eventually apologized. And what was Sarah's response? She said, that's okay. Yeah. N- no recrimination. I can't think of the. I think that's the word. No. Um, that's right. You're yeah. going to apologize. Yeah. And I, so I just thought like maybe that's the price of being a parent. Your kid has to know that you will never run out of love for them. Gosh. And I think when they know that, then you do get repaid. Yeah. But I, I think it's a type of relationship that Seth really just might not understand. That is so insightful. I love that. And I, I think. But you already said it. <laughs> that <laughs> was I, that, When I heard it, it was like, because that was my whole paragraph about it that I realized <laughs> watching it. And but but yeah, it's exactly what you just said. Well, thanks. I, I, and it's something that I think then is is communicated well in this episode. It is. I think it really is. Well, you know, something that strikes me about certain personalities, especially people who are addicts, uh, you know, a lot of times they do the grand gesture thing. I think that's maybe a way that they. I don't know if this means that romantic relationships and parent-child relationships are similar or different. I don't know. But I think that Seth seems to be a person who tries to make up for things with grand gestures, like the guitar, which I actually think was a very loving, kind thing to do. Me but too. I, I think he was hoping that would solve more. And really what Amber is saying is, I don't want a gesture. I want to earn your trust back. And it needs to be like small, little things. She doesn't need a gift. She needs him to prove himself. And yeah, he's wanting to settle his account right. with one big check. Yeah. And she's saying, you know, I need a multi-year. <laughs> Give me a dollar every day. Loan. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's what I need. I need. Yeah. And so I, I thought that was really interesting. And I loved that speech that Sarah gave him because it was beautiful, first of all, but it, it wasn't mean. It was totally fair. I love that she even admits that sometimes she gets off on, you know, him messing up. Like, I, I'm like, how vulnerable and self-aware. Like, when when I run after someone in the rain, <laughs> I don't think I'm making points that coherently and concisely. I mean, she just launches into this gorgeous speech out of nowhere maybe it's been percolating you know maybe it's been in the back of her mind but i like that she first tells him sure when he says please tell the kids for me and then i like that she thinks better of it and i also can't believe that how well they've drawn this whole history you're so right like the other day i was thinking about how john corbett so far this was his third episode i'm like my god how many episodes was william baldwin in i i never felt any sort of depth or like i got to know him super well in like twice as many episodes you know i think that's really interesting i feel like john corbett's been on this show forever and i'm like well you just showed up this was a three episode arc that's bongers yeah when i try and think about what did they do that developed this history so well and i i feel like there's not a whole lot i can actually point to it's like well in that scene they did X, Y, and Z, and thus we think... No, I think it's just those actors having some great chemistry with they each do. other. They or, do. They do. And and also one thing I will say, and I think I've said it before, I think it was really smart of the show to have mentioned Seth at Thanksgiving. Yeah. And to have mentioned Seth at Amber's open mic. Yeah. That he is a topic of conversation even when he wasn't there. So that when he did show up, we weren't just meeting John Corbett. We were putting John Corbett's face 
to all of this information yes. we already had about this character. I think that was really smart of the show and did lend a sense of history. But why should that equal, oh, I believe that he and Lauren Graham used to date. That to me does feel <laughs> like magic. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's been a really long time since I've seen California Dreams, so I'm sorry if I'm not remembering. Yeah, I don't want to bash Tiffany. (laughs) No, but I was going to say, I wonder if the same is true on that show, because I remember those those shows that I loved when I was like, you know, a preteen on Saturday mornings. I feel like they would just introduce people out of nowhere, out of the clear blue sky. I'm wondering if Tiffany ever mentioned her mom or if it's just like, let's just have a let's have an episode about this. I remember there's an episode of Saved by the Bell where Jesse's parent marries some other parent and she gets a stepbrother. He's literally in two episodes. They never <laughs> mention him again. <laughs> so some TV shows just will kind of play it fast and loose like that. They're like, oh, we got Although even Friday Night Lights. Didn't Buddy adopt a son and yeah. then you never saw him again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not like a baby who was off in daycare. Like a high schooler. Yeah. I Wasn't he on the football team? He was on the football team. Yeah. <laughs> but you never saw him. He's at the bottom of every pile up. <laughs> That's why you don't see him. That's just, awful. He's always well covered. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad that Sarah asked him to come say goodbye to his kids. I wrote down good for Seth. Yeah. And I literally meant that I think it was good for him. Yeah. I think he's going to have more self-respect that he at least said goodbye to them. Yeah. And then when he was leaving, (laughs) this is a small thing, but when he was apologizing to Sarah for burdening her with kind of the sole responsibility of raising the kids. I liked that she said it's not always a burden. Yeah. Sometimes it's more like a privilege because (laughs) I could just imagine the like super very special episode version of that would be, it's not a burden. It's a privilege. Yeah. And I thought, no, it's not always a burden. (laughs) It's more realistic and it's not cruel. No. It just, but it sometimes it is. How many things have we seen in her life that have been, derailed or diverted because she has this responsibility to take care of these children. And I'm sure she wouldn't have it any other way now, Mm -hmm. but it's not always a privilege. Sometimes it is a burden. And Seth did just wash his hands of that. Yes. And I was going to say her line delivery on that is so good that it's only now occurring to me that that possibly could have been a cheesy line it wasn't at all, you know, like, cause she like kind of blinks or, you know, she kind of, it's this interesting choice that she makes when she was, you know, it wasn't always a burden and she kind of sniffles or something. I don't know. And she just imbued it with all this real stuff that it felt like she wasn't being noble or, you know what, loser, it was a privilege. No, you know, she, she, <laughs> yeah. she says it like she's kind of confiding in him or like it's just occurring to her or maybe hopefully it's getting maybe easier as they're getting older and they're getting a little bit more settled. And so she can, you know, she's not right in the middle of Amber, Steve, Hattie drama, which she probably would not call it a privilege, you know? Yeah. Amber's mostly knitting. She can say it's a privilege. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. And now that you say that, it also makes me realize I loved that Sarah wasn't in the house for the goodbyes. Yeah. That she sort of left it, that's your thing, Seth. Go do that. And when he comes out, she says... How was that? Yeah. Like sort of like, yeah, go take your medicine, Seth. Yeah. This is, <laughs> is going to make you better. It's going to make them better. And it has nothing to do with me. Yeah. This is you and your kids. 
Love that. She's actually being quite supportive of him by making him do that, I think. I think think so. It is really good for him. Yeah. One thing I did glean from the commentary, Jason Kadem said that it was John Corbett who had the instinct that he didn't think Seth, when he said goodbye to Sarah, would presume to touch her. Mm. So he offers his hand for a handshake. Yeah. And then Sarah just embraces him. And when I watched it the second time, gosh, it's just such a beautiful moment. And that to me is another thing that speaks to their history. Like after all we've gone through, I'm not going to shake your hand. Right. You big lug. I'm going <laughs> to hug you and kiss you. And even though I'm often so mad at you and I blame you for so much stuff, but Ugh, just great. It got me too. And it really, it really affected me that she not only hugged him, but like you said, kissed him, like kissed him on the neck, which I think usually would seem forward or like a come on or like it again was like attached to sensuality and it wasn't at all. It was like Mm -mm. the most, yeah, it was care. That's the perfect word. Yeah. There was no way he was going to misread that or something. It was just, we know each other so well. We do love each other, but that wasn't about romantic love. That was about almost something deeper, weirdly. Like, yeah. like we've crossed over through that into the other side or something. I don't know. It was beautiful. Sidebar. Yeah. He mentions that his best songs are the ones he wrote with her. And I thought, if he's still performing those songs, she should... i.e. making money off of yeah. them, that she co-wrote, she's entitled to some compensation. I don't get the sense that Seth makes a great living Mm -hmm. off of his performing, but something. That's a good point. (laughs) Be like, you know, a compliment is nice, but why, why don't we, why don't we replace that? You know, your magic with some cold, hard cash. Cash would be magic. I I live (laughs) with my parents. Um. (laughs) Right. Uh, I loved this last scene between Amber and Drew. Oh my God. Me too. And before I comment on it, before I even play it, I want listeners to just note, this is not the point of the scene, but note that Amber really gives the perfect apology. Huh. I'm sorry that I pushed Dad away. I didn't have to yell at him or say those things, and I know that it was important to you to have a relationship with him, and you tried to talk to me, and I didn't listen And I'm sorry. Hi, Amber. He was a real dad. Nothing you did could have made him leave. I know it's not your fault. have each other damn it damn it that just it made me squeal that last line and maybe it's cheesy i don't care i love my sister so much and that's just all it made me think of and it did actually make me think about what why like why is why are siblings such a special kind of relationship 
at least the kind of relationship that I have with my sisters. And it made me think that, you know, we've said several times that whatever you grow up knowing is what you think is normal, Mm -hmm. even though it may not be normal compared to, you know, what the rest of the world does. And I thought, well, my sisters know how I grew up. You know, like we we can compare notes about what we thought was normal. That's true. And then how it jibes with the rest of the world. It just it's just, it's that shared history. We, we truly know where we're coming from in the most literal sense. And it'll be the longest relationships that we have with anyone mm-hmm. in our whole lives. That's true. Anyway, but the, in the rest of that scene, like I just already made my lengthy note about the accounts, the deposits, and it's different with parents. And then. Drew just demonstrates that he understands that concept in one line when he says, if he was a real dad, nothing you did could have made him leave. Like, ah, Drew gets it. That's it. And then you said this too, but I also had made note of it. I love that we'll always have mom prompted laughter between them. (laughs) It felt real. I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's an admission of like, she's not exactly the type of mom either of them might imagine as being the perfect mom or the model mom, but they get what they need from her, which is knowing that she'll always be there. Yeah. And then, like I said about the apology, you know, we live in this like call out culture sometimes, and then people are issuing public apologies and they're never good enough. You know, the people who are offended are never satisfied. Well, I didn't think the apology was good enough. And sometimes I roll my eyes. I'm like, what do you want? What do you want from the apology? But then I listen to Amber. I'm like, that. That's how you do it. (laughs) She said she was sorry. And then she chronicles what happened and where she fell short. I didn't have to behave in the way that I behaved. You tried to raise this issue with me, and I didn't listen. And then she reiterates her apology. She takes total responsibility for what she did. She acknowledges his feelings. And the impact of what her behavior was. And she was so sincere. Oh, yeah. And it just made me think, okay, that's, that's I think, what people mean. Because <laughs> it was a really good apology. Well, and I think sometimes those public apologies are non-apologies. They're like, I'm sorry if anyone was offended. Which right. is not, not taking over. There's no responsibility. Yeah. Right. Which is weird because I actually think Amber... <sighs> Didn't do anything wrong, but I think... Right, she didn't literally push him away. Right, but, you know, at the same time, I like that she didn't apologize... Well, did she apologize to Seth? Now I'm questioning that, And you know, when, when he was leaving. She started to. And then he... And he stopped her. Good, I'm glad for Which, that. Which, good for him. Good for him. Because I, I think maybe I can see why she would apologize to Drew, because she loves yeah. Drew. And even if she didn't do anything wrong in her mind she would never want to hurt her brother. That is one of my favorite relationships on the whole show, by the way. Like Amber and Drew, man, yeah, it's just this beautiful bond. And they can, like the same way that that Drew can kind of lash out at at Sarah and and know, they do that with each other. You know, actually a line that I don't know if it was meant to be funny, but it made me laugh was after Amber yelled at Seth and stormed off. Drew was like, you know, she does that all the time with both of us. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I thought she does. And he, he does it as well. And I'm not saying that's the healthiest thing in the world, but I am saying, you know, it's nice that they know that they'll always have each other. And I love that they don't always resort to it. I liked very much. No, I loved that. They could have mined that for more drama. Drew could have been like, yeah, you should apologize. Bye. And he could have not spoken to her for an episode or two. 
But I love that instead he, you know, he forgave her right away because who's been there for him? His mom and his sister. Who hasn't? Yeah. His dad. And and even though he's willing to give his dad another try, I don't think he's really ready to put his dad over the people who have consistently been there for him. So Yeah. And Amber's remorse over whatever part she played in that. Yeah. So sincere. Was so sincere. And specifically, I like that she specified, you tried to talk to me mm-hmm. and I didn't listen. She did listen. But I think what she's meaning is kind of what we were saying about Crosby before. Like, you articulated it so well. But I think people are dismissive of Crosby's feelings yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, you're a screw up. So what you're feeling about this doesn't matter. Right. I think maybe Amber was dismissive of Drew's feelings. Yeah. He was trying to say, this is really important to me. Mm-hmm. And she was just going, well, screw that. I, I, I don't care. <laughs> I know better. Yeah. And I think what she was saying here was, that was wrong of me. Mm-hmm. And then Amber went on to play this song. Oh, that my gosh. Did, which was so beautiful. And at first I wrote down this note. I wrote, I believe from several minutes of internet searches, that the song is by Mae Whitman and Landon Pig. Oh. Because I found interviews and things where she alluded to, oh, well, Landon and I wrote some songs for Parenthood. And you can't find that song anywhere. It's not like, oh, it was on someone's album and then they just covered it. So it seemed like, oh, this this must have been created for the show. So cool. And so that's what I thought it was. But then I listened to the commentary, hmm. and Jason Kadams said that the song was written by the show's composer, John Ehrlich. Oh. So I take him <laughs> as the authority on that. I loved the song. And one little music note, the melody in this episode is not quite identical to the way that John Corbett sang it in his episode. I believe John Corbett sang small fingers, small toes. And Amber sings small fingers, small toes. That's so right. It's a different note. And call back to the pilot. The note that Amber goes to is a major seventh. Ah. <laughs> that is the scale degree that she's hitting. And the chord underneath it that John Corbett didn't have. Wow. And I love me some major sevens. <laughs> I love that little alteration. And she sounded so great singing it. And Ugh. it gave us a nice little patented parenthood montage. <laughs> I was going to say that I didn't love the song when John Corbett sang it. I thought it was fine. But then I Same. loved it when she sang it. And maybe I didn't even, I don't know enough about music. So I'm so glad you sang that so I could actually hear the difference. But yes, um, I, I, first of all, I love her voice, but I, I think that change was much more interesting to my ear for whatever reason. So that yeah. major seven. When he was doing this kind of stripped down, slightly grungy version with electric guitars and drums and stuff. And she was totally unplugged with just her little acoustic guitar. And was it, I can't even believe I didn't make this connection. Was it his guitar? I think that it she was. was playing? Yeah. Of course it was. Uh, How did I not realize that? I know. But that's so sweet. That's so sweet. And then. During that montage, we see Sarah writing and writing and writing. Mm-hmm. And I took note that I suspect that Lauren Graham had already begun writing what would become her novel. Yeah. Someday, someday, maybe, because this aired in 2011 and her novel came out in 2013. Hmm. And she has said publicly that one of the big inspirations to her writing a book was that she had joined Parenthood. And was on a TV show where, because she was part of an ensemble, not the lead, like on Gilmore Girls, 
And then because of the way they shot the show, which was very fast, that she had all this time available to her. Like, what am I going to do with all this time? And she decided to write. And so I wondered if she was like writing in her trailer or writing around, you know, if people were aware, oh, Lauren's writing a book. And if that inspired the writers of the show to have her character write something. I don't know. That's so interesting. You're probably right, first of all. And also, we should mention that we have both read Someday, Someday, Maybe. And it's, <laughs> of course we have. Yeah, of course we have. Um, and I loved it. And I think you did, too. Me, too. It's charming. It's so charming. That's the perfect word. But, yeah, I that's really interesting. Because I'd never really pinpointed it before. But I'm like, did this come out of nowhere? Because in the second episode of the whole show, is that when she goes on that job interview? And it's more about her graphic design. Like, that's how she helped Seth they said then. And hey, I believe that there are multiple ways she might have helped him. You know, perhaps she, you know, maybe his whole band was kind of a family affair, you know, like they were like just two young kids trying to make it. And so what can she do? She can help any way she can, right? Like make the posters, help write the songs. Maybe it's all creative. Maybe the whole point is just that she's creative. But I guess I was like, which is it? Is she an is she like an artist? He calls her an artist, but literally like an artist, like a graphic artist, or is she a writer or is she just creative? Well, she wrote a great paper on Sound of the Fury. <laughs> That's true. I wasn't even thinking of that. That's good. You're right. But yeah, you raise a good point. I think we've only really been told about her artistic talent as like visual art. This is a funny comparison, but it kind of reminds me of uh, Joey Potter on Dawson's Creek, who... Um, is always trying to find her thing. And I, I guess what it really makes me think is Dawson, the star of the show, it's never in question. We know what he loves. He loves um, film and he wants to be a filmmaker. That's his dream. That's his goal. It never deviates. The entire show is around that. Because she's kind of, you know, I don't know, more of the supporting character, at least in the beginning. They kept changing what her dream was. Like, in the second season, she starts to explore literally being an artist. She takes like painting and drawing classes and Dawson kind of dismisses it by calling it a hobby. And she's like, how come film is your passion and art is my hobby? And I'm like, good for you calling them out. But then like a few seasons later, she's a writer and it really never mentions art again. And I just thought, is that a thing that happens on shows where if a person is creative, they're just good at all of it? Because I'm like, I, I can write, but I, I can't. <laughs> this is not transferable <laughs> skill. I'm not good at graphic design. I call your sister when I need help with a book cover. I can't just be like, well, I'm creative. I'll write the book of poetry and design the cover myself. I can't do that. Um, so anyway, I mentioned it. It might be. Because like we said, we've never seen Sarah write. Although at this point, we don't even know what she's writing. Right. Or if it's don't. any good. So. Yeah, that's true. And of but course. She was writing a lot. She was writing. And she was using a Uniball gel ink pen, which I love. <laughs> I didn't even know. I'm notice. almost positive that's what it was because it looked so familiar to me. That's funny. Well, and I just bring it up because I think sometimes maybe on shows and movies and such, it's like the idea is we want to convey someone is creative. But I don't know. I, I, I just wonder. Well, Camille writes a symphony next season. So that <laughs> might be there. <laughs> I kid. She doesn't. <laughs> That's true. Camille has a very specific. Although, you know, I learned when I went down my Bonnie Bedelia rabbit hole that she paints in real life. Oh, so maybe it's they a got big that passion from her. of hers. And it seems like maybe that's something they do on the show. I love you know, that. Mae Whitman plays guitar and sings. So they put it in. That also makes me wonder if, you know, was Lauren Graham writing something? And they said, let's have her be a writer. 
I kind of love that because I think the more you can blend fact and fiction, you know, it, it just becomes like when you said that that was John Corbett's real band, I thought that was so interesting. And of course they're yeah. actors and they're very good at acting. And of course they could play someone so different from themselves, but I think it's kind of fun when you draw on real life. Yeah. And, you know, you, I guess you could say that writing was a new creative skill to Lauren Graham, which I think it was. I think That's she would true. say it too. But she does also have a degree in English. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what her bachelor's is in. So she's not a stranger to the written word. <laughs> but that's true. She, you know, people are good at lots of things. Just because all I have is writing doesn't mean I should think <laughs> other people have to just be limited to one passion. Well, okay. It's time. Here's the, here's the, yeah. Time. It's to, time. Ugh, I don't, I've been dreading time? it. It's so awful. For the ugly. For the ugliness. Ugh. Crosby, look at me. You can't even look at me? Why do you think you were stupid? What did you do? I made a mistake. What kind of mistake? <laughs> you don't know? <laughs> don't lie to me. I slept with someone. It was stupid, and uh, you know, I don't <clears throat> have an excuse other than this happened while we were going through our thing, and I just kind of collapsed emotionally, and then I was did it? the worst thing. It's not important. It's not important. So why did you do it? Sweetie, listen, I, it, was, it was one time, and it will never, ever happen again. I, I swear I will never do anything like that again. Okay, I am so sorry. You have to get please, off of me. No, get no, off of me. I just, get I need to know me. that you're not. Hold on, get, listen. Get I don't off of me, you asshole! Jasmine. You're such an idiot! Okay, you know what? Hey, please, don't walk no, out of here. don't tell me what to do. You know what? You don't deserve anything good in your life. Nothing. I'll never forgive you for this. Damn. That was devastating. Devastating. To me. I, also, it. we've said this before already, but in this scene too, I didn't play it just now, but Jasmine's apology uh -huh. before this all began felt so sincere. It didn't feel like a, an olive branch in the sense of I'm going to symbolically right. extend you. you know, it felt real, like, hey, I was wrong about bar in the party i really do owe you an apology and that just made it way worse it did make it way worse i'm sure it made crosby feel way worse like yeah. like oh don't come in here being all kind and sweet what am i uh, gonna do and i had felt like their conflict had been such a two-way street that they both had points and they both had done some silly things and then the fact that she was taking such responsibility for her side of it was killing me yeah I'm sure that was the point, right? <laughs> That's why Jason Kadams did that, so that we would, you know, <laughs> right. just to really just pour it on. It. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I believe that happens sometimes, too, in real life. Like, I, it felt believable, even though it yeah. Yeah, also felt designed to... Um, For maximum yes. devastation. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and I, I appreciated that, I guess, that Crosby told her... He didn't have I mean, to. He, he could have tried to keep it a secret. And I thought, especially since Gabby quit, mm -hmm. it might have been possible that no one would have ever found out. I don't think he could have lived with himself. I think he learned that 
in that earlier scene when he went over to pick up Jabbar and Jasmine wanted to talk and he couldn't look at her. You notice that he was just like, well, I'm in Jabbar mode. Like, I think it occurred to him. Oh, any plan of just going on as usual is not going to work because I'll hate myself. He should talk to Zeke and see how Zeke does it. Yeah. <laughs> That's not funny. Yeah, um, kind of is. <laughs> well, here's a question I had for you. Yeah. So in that scene, Jasmine asks who it was. Mm-hmm. And Crosby says it's not important. I think it was right of him not to tell her. Is that weird? I No, you no. That was my at least my my instinct, and I didn't question it till I said it. I think because I don't know. Now I am questioning it. But I think the point is that he cheated on her. And I, th- I think if like they had any chance of working this out, maybe then full honesty, let's have a, a huge conversation. But I think in that moment, when someone is just mad and says, who was it? It's not going to do anybody any good to be like, Gabby, the behavioral age, you've met her. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's going to do anything. I think that maybe down the road, if they're going to patch things up, maybe that comes up. But I think it would take focus off of him. And then suddenly, is she mad at, at Gabby too? Or, you, you know, I, I think he, one thing he's right about is that that's not the point. The point is that he slept with someone and that it was a mistake and he shouldn't have done it and he's sorry. And I think it was really good that he kind of kept it to that. Yeah. But then I I think where he was in the wrong was trying to like hug her and comfort her. I went back and forth on that scene a lot. When Jasmine says, you don't deserve anything good in your life, that was so harsh that I wondered if it was too harsh, even though he had just said he slept with someone else. It was this ultimate betrayal. And yet for a moment, I wondered, I was like, should you have said that? <laughs> like, like, I know that, but I'm like, well, of course, people, when they're, you know, right, rightfully and righteously angry and hurt and betrayed, of course you would say something like that. But it just seems like such a mean thing to tell another person is that you don't deserve anything good in your life. That's different from you don't deserve me, which is true. But I don't, I don't agree that he doesn't deserve anything good in his life. But then I thought, when I watched it again and noticed he kept trying to hug her and she kept saying, get off of me. He was not respecting what she wanted. Or he says, don't leave. Yeah. Let her leave. She says, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. That I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So I think ultimately I fell on the side of, yeah, she gets to say whatever she wants in that moment. (laughs) Yeah. I did. You're right. That is really mean. And yet I I don't want to say I loved it because it was hard to watch, but in the sense of it felt very organic to what had just happened. And, and even when I think about it, you know, you could easily make a case that Crosby is kind of effortlessly blessed with, you know, he's not, even though I've defended him in lots of ways, he's not a great decision maker and his life is kind of a shambles. Luckily he's part of this huge extended caring family that always has his back Luckily, he's found a job that seems perfectly suited to him and keeps him solvent. And this kid gets dumped in his lap and he turns out to be an amazing, wonderful kid. (laughs) And you just happen to fall in love with the wonderful mother and like all these good things that he hasn't earned. And then he messes them up anyway. Yeah. 
And I was like, yeah, you don't deserve anything good in your life. All this stuff just fell in your lap and you <laughs> pissed all over it. And yeah, that's so well. I'm put. sure that wasn't all going through her head. But even when I stop and pick it apart, as we do, <laughs> I thought, oh, it tracks. Like it kind of does. Track. I wonder if that's something that maybe she had thought before. Like, God, this is a lucky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> like, he is a lucky bastard. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I asked you that question about who it was not because I had a different opinion, but because I genuinely didn't have one. Mm -hmm. I agree with you that in the moment, I don't think it's important who specifically it was. And yet if I were Jasmine and someone had just told me, I feel like it's a natural question to ask. Oh, I so would have asked. Yeah. Maybe even the first question. Yeah. You cheated on me with who? Although now that I'm saying that, do you think it would have been important if it was someone Jasmine knew? Um, pro- like really new, y- not yeah. like, oh, she knows who Gabby is, but yeah, like if he, <laughs> that's a different level of betrayal. <laughs> not that this would have happened, but if he was like, it's Renee. <laughs> My God. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, he's not going to say that. Is he? Yep. Okay. <laughs> well, it's Renee or Seiku. <laughs> we haven't seen anyone else that Jasmine knows. That's true. Does she have any friends? Does she have a life outside the Bravermans? The uh, world will never know. <laughs> so earlier you had said that Seth needed to earn it with his kids, needed to earn it. I was listening to Crosby tell Jasmine, you know, I slept with someone. It was just one time. It didn't mean anything. Um, Please forgive me. It'll never happen again. And I thought, for a brief moment, I thought, should she forgive him? Not not even saying, I don't know. I, I just wondered, like, hmm, if a person cheats one time, they say they're sorry. They say it won't happen again. Should you forgive that? And then it really occurred to me, if I were Jasmine, I wouldn't believe him. I, I just wouldn't. We we have our first really big fight as a couple. And your immediate response is to sleep with someone else. I don't trust you. Um, I don't believe you when you say it won't happen again. I have to see that in action. You know, to me, I'm like, oh, there's nothing... This can't be saved, at least not now. They have to break up. You know, I, I think that's ultimately where I fell, where I'd be like, the trust is just like gone. And if he has any chance of, of being with her in the future, I think the way he kept telling Adam, like, I've changed over the last year. And I think he has. But clearly there's more changing that needs done. And I think he's going to have to prove not just to Jasmine, but to Adam, Christina, to everyone in his life, I can change more. <laughs> I yeah. I wasn't done developing. I, I had made strides, but it's not like, I don't know. And it's not like anyone ever becomes perfect. It's not like the goal is, is perfection, but I think he needs to learn not to take that easy way out, how to, how to have a really uncomfortable, tough fight with someone and not be reactionary to go eat some ice cream or even drink with some friends, but not take comfort in another person who isn't your fiance, you know? And if, if it turns out she's so controlling that you genuinely don't want to marry her, don't say that in a fit of anger, end it, break up with her, show her some respect and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I think I've learned that we're better as co-parents and friends. The engagement is off. Then sleep with Gabby. Then, you know, but, but don't, what was he even trying to do? Well, you know, with that original fight, was he trying to get 
their problems solved? Was he just trying to blame her? Was he just mad? I think he was just venting, which is, yeah. he wasn't thinking. He wasn't thinking. As Sarah said, think one step beyond this feels good. <laughs> right. And he, I think he just felt like this is bubbling up inside of me and I'm going to let it out. Yeah. Okay, well then, <laughs> if that's what you're going to do, yeah. Jasmine's going to respond to that. Yeah. And you have to accept what her response is. I don't think Jasmine would have responded the way she did if he had said it differently. I totally agree. I mean, of course. I mean, who would? But, you know, nobody likes to be criticized. That's universal, I think. But, you know, I think people are pretty reasonable for the most part. And if you're like, okay, we are going to get married and we've been going to the counseling and it's, it's brought up a few concerns for me. This is hard for me to do, but I think we should talk about him. And I mean, God, can you imagine if it was that instead of I can't marry someone? I, yeah, that's on the composing an email yeah. version of the show. <laughs> right. We're going <laughs> to. That's going to be I a think we're going to, when this podcast is done, we're just going to create a version of parenthood <laughs> where everyone makes smart, reasonable choices all the time and no one will watch nor should. <laughs> yeah, it's true. This was super compelling and I, I felt bad for everyone. I even felt bad for Crosby, even though I was pissed at Crosby. But um, yeah, it was it was really good. There was that look on Jasmine's face when he says that he cheated too. And I was like, "What have you done?" Yeah, she's so hurt and angry, and and it's strange. I didn't think she overreacted. Yeah, but oddly, because I didn't think she overreacted in this situation, it made me think that maybe I thought she has overreacted before. Huh. Like when she yells at him in the studio about getting Julia to weigh in on where Jabbar should live or yeah. or in the dishwasher fight. <laughs> like, oh, you went right from that's a lot of information to you want your ring back to what the hell? Like, <laughs> and I'm not judging her. She can react however she wants. But it was just funny to see her scream and yell in this situation. And I didn't. Mm. have any issue with it at all. And I thought, oh, maybe you've been quick to do this before. But everyone on this show is quick. They are quick to do it. I think it feels very believable with Jasmine. I feel like that's kind of an interesting character character trait where, like, for the most part, she is, like, the coolest. She is, and I mean that in every sense of the word, she is, like, beautiful and, like, a hip dresser has a cool job. She, you know, like, you know, dancer and dance instructor. And I mean, she's so cool. She's also cool as in level-headed most of the time. You know, like at her own bachelorette party, everyone else was <laughs> acting ridiculous. And she was like, it's fabulous. You know, she, she was just, <laughs> she's great. But I think she has a hot temper, which I think is an interesting character trait for a woman to have uh, on, a, on a show. Because I feel like, you know, men are always allowed to just have a hot temper. And I think like... We don't really ever see her yell at anyone but Crosby, though. So maybe she doesn't have a hot temper. Maybe Crosby specifically pisses her off, you know. And and this time it just made sense because he really, really did something wrong. And it wasn't just a difference of opinion. Yeah. Man, and then in this episode, like just when you think it's over, we already got the montage. It's like, okay, this grueling episode is done. We're safe. And then this sucker punch right at the end. I know you're worried about losing your babysitter, but I lost my fiance, okay? And I may have lost my son, so I didn't come out on skates. What's the you understand about it? She's not a babysitter. She's a behavioral aide for your nephew. He's got Asperger's. What don't you get about that? Get it through your thick skull. Your nephew has Asperger's. 
have Asperger's? Dun, dun, dun. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's just so much. So, so much. much. Yeah. It's just everything. And, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was almost funny. It's not funny, but almost funny right after Christina tells Adam the reason Gabby quit, Crosby immediately shows up. I'm like, oh, this is the worst timing you've ever had, Crosby. You should just right. go. <laughs> I think that he would have. I mean, didn't Adam tell him to go? Didn't Adam say, I don't want to say something I'm going to regret? Yeah. Those those Bravermans, man, when they do try to get some boundaries, other Bravermans won't let them. <laughs> Crosby's like, no, I'm going to stay. We're going to have this out. <laughs> also, something that Crosby says, even in that outburst, that I hadn't considered was he says, I just lost my fiance and I may have lost my son. I hate to admit, I hadn't even really considered Jabbar Mm. throughout the whole episode, but that relationship would be in enormous jeopardy. Now when you have screwed things over so badly with Jasmine, I mean, if, if that dishwasher fight made her take him away for a day or a weekend, what's going to happen now? And, not to harp on this like I always do, but they still have no arrangement in yeah. place as to what Crosby's rights are. And it's like, good luck hashing that out now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh. when is he going to see Jabbar again? What kind of access is he going to have to his son? It's scary. Like, I, I get that Crosby would be a little myopic in that moment about the impact of his actions because they're impacting him yeah. so drastically. Do you find it interesting that he slept with Gabby one time and then was immediately like, no, like some people I feel like would double down on the easy way or what have you, or, or maybe just be like, maybe I'll just start something up with her. You know, it's, it's like he, he can convince himself it's a, a good idea or that he is able to, I don't know. He somehow convinces himself. Yeah. Sleeping with her is worth it. I'll do this. It's like he understands immediately after he does it that it's not. And I'm just, I guess I'm curious, why why did he do it other than he's attracted, he felt a connection? Those things are still true. He still says that to Adam that he, you know, he was like, just because we had a connection. I I guess I'm just confused. Like now he has nothing. Um, Why? That's true. And he does say to Gabby, we can't. Yeah. It's not like any part of him's like, okay, well, I've lost Jasmine plan B, you know, which I'm glad because I think that's actually a shitty idea. I'm not trying to say, I think that's a good idea, (laughs) but I I do think sometimes when people are on the road of making bad decisions, they'll just keep driving, you know, (laughs) just keep going. So how is it that he has such clarity? You know, even, even in that opening shot where that beautiful like song is playing and we see Gabby alone in the bed. Crosby is already dressed and he puts his stupid fedora on, but he, but he puts it on like soberly. I don't know. He's like looking at her and it's like, there's just regret all yeah. over his face. It's just instantaneous. I don't know. You know, I wonder if he is trying to protect his own self image of integrity, hmm. like to himself. Huh? Cause he, in that deleted scene and then with Adam, he's, he's saying that this wasn't, Basically, I think he's saying, I didn't use Gabby. Mm-hmm. I actually do care about her. And weirdly, I think maybe both things are true. Yeah. I think he does care about her in a way. I think he can envision circumstances in which they might have some something between them. Yeah. But maybe he doesn't want to admit that, honestly, within the context that this did happen, he did use her. Yeah. It was just to feel better. 
And that's an ugly thing to say. And I think it's an ugly thing he doesn't want to admit to himself. But I think that's it. I think that's exactly it. Because even though he is obviously attracted to her and he does, they, they did hit it off. They had a connection in that sense. You know, they, they made each other laugh. They got along. No part of him thinks this is love because he's not fooling himself afterwards. Or that it's a suitable alternative to what he has with Jasmine and Jabbar. Yeah, I think I think maybe somehow before he messed it up, he wasn't able to fully see through, like see it through, like what would happen. He knew on some level, but for some reason, some people have to go ahead and blow up their lives. You know, it's the hypothetical isn't going to do it for them. They, they've got to just actually light that fire and set it all ablaze. I don't know. In which case, Jasmine's totally right. Yeah. He doesn't deserve anything good in his life. Yeah. Yeah. I think one, then what that last scene, I think most immediately cues up is that they're going to have to have this conversation with Max. Yeah. That they have kept not having and not having. Mm -hmm. Despite what they say, I think they've been not having it for their comfort and benefit. Not for his. I think so, too. I stand by it. That episode with the walkathon, like, literally, he was asking the way that Dr. Rolled Pelican, out a red carpet for them. Yeah. 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 I'm like, he wanted... Talk to me about this. Yeah. He was like, why did we pick this cause? Plenty of other, you know, charities. And they didn't do it then. They're having it now. And, you know, it's not like I think that's what you get for not taking that opportunity. I don't mean it like that. But I do mean... I guess there is always this risk of someone finding out in a worse way, I guess, when you, but. I do also wonder, what did he think, what did Max think Gabby was for? Did he think that everyone had a Gabby? Maybe. And when he switched schools, did he not wonder why? I, I don't know. But whatever. <laughs> no, that, I mean, those are good questions. I wonder if we'll have anyone we could ask those questions to next week. Well, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we are very happy that we will have Wayne Toshjian, who was the autism consultant for Parenthood through all six seasons of its run. I am so honored to. I kind of can't get over it. It's going to be amazing, but also I'm, I'm intimidated, I'll admit. I, <laughs> I think he'll be wonderful. He seems so kind, and it's really nice of him to come on our show. Yeah, and I think it'll be great, just especially in an area where neither one of us has much of any personal experience to talk to someone who not only has a lot of experience of his own, but was instrumental in creating the work that we are responding to around such an important topic that we obviously want to be very respectful of. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like kind of the perfect episode too uh, for, for him to come on. So anyway, please, yeah, tune in for that. <laughs> yes. And, um, I think I think that's it. We'll um, ask you to please follow us if you don't already. Parenthood Pals on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And you can find all of our info at parenthoodpals.com. Thanks for joining us today. Hopefully we will have brighter episodes <laughs> in the future, but this was a doozy. It was really incredible, but yes, a total bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.